Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode 118, recorded March 9th, 2013. So our 55th 90s episode, and we're going to finish off the Deep Space Nine Heart and Minds miniseries by Malibu Comics. Yes, which I enjoyed a lot of it. I Yeah, it was good. It was pretty good, pretty good. Uh, good the, story. Uh, the threat of a Cardassian Klingon war with the Federation in the middle, it was good stuff. It was. And who was the mystery provocateur of this conflict? Well, we'll have to wait and find out. We don't want to spoil exactly. it. Don't spoil exactly. it. Exactly. We'll have to find out. Well, I think it might have something to do with that big-eared girl, uh, Mara. I think she might be playing into it. I think she might be. And who did I think she was the first time I saw her? I won't say, but let's just say the race that she's supposed to be a part of is rather similar to other races that we've seen before. Yoda. Exactly. It's Yoda's cousin, who happens to be tall, attractive, and uh, fair-skinned. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. All right. All right, so issue number two came out July of 1994. It is entitled Part Two on the Edge of Armageddon. Writer is Mark A. Altman, penciler Rob Davis, inker Terry Pallet, letter Patrick Osley, color design Mike Rouse, and editor is Mark Pansia. So the cover shows Brashear and Dax wearing some fantastic next-gen coats that look very warm and comfy, which is a good thing because the duo find themselves on an ice-covered planet. On a snow ridge, we see four Klingons all sporting winter wear, and one of them is holding a very menacing-looking disruptor. So the story starts off where issue number one left off. The delegation from both the Klingons and the Cardassian empires are arguing in Sisko's office. The Klingons claim that the Cardassians were responsible for the destruction of one of their ships in the Gamma Quadrant. Also, we are reminded that the runabout with the ambassador that was supposed to mediate this discussion was destroyed before it could dock with the station. The Klingon delegation informed Sisko in no uncertain terms that the Federation needs to abide by his demands. He then puts on his cloak and storms out of the room. The Cardassians also make a veiled threat to Sisko in that they say that they hope the Federation does not lose the station after they have gotten so used to it. In Quark's bar, Quark is sweeping up when the beautiful Mara arrives and offers Quark 1,500 bars of gold-pressed latinum for the whole bar. Quark is stunned. In a runabout on the other side of the wormhole, Dax and Bashir have arrived at the last known planet that the Klingon ship visited before it was destroyed. 
It is an ice-covered planet. So Bashir gives Dax a bracelet that will somehow keep them warm. I guess we will not see those cool coats from the cover after all. Koloth, the Klingon visitor, refuses the offer of a bracelet. Warriors don't wear bracelets. The three beam down and are almost immediately attacked by a large purple snow bear of some sort. Just as the creature is about to make a meal out of Bashir, a disruptor charge kills the monster. Their Klingon savior is from a party of about a dozen warriors left on the planet before the ship departed and was destroyed. The three are invited to the Klingon camp. There, the leader of the group tells them that they had nothing to do with the ship's destruction, and that he thinks that the ship was making a supply run to Caldona 3. In Sisko's office, Starfleet Command has just informed the commander that he will need to mediate the sessions between the Cardassians and the Klingons. The Enterprise is en route to offer assistance, but it will be over three days before it can arrive. In Quark's bar, Quark is talking to Rom and planning a heist to steal the gold from Mara's ship before she can use it to buy the bar. Rom is to sneak aboard the ship while Quark and Mara are having dinner to discuss the sale of the bar. Later, Quark and Mara are having their romantic dinner. Their pleasant negotiations are cut short when Mara's guard barges in, holding Rom by the scuff of his neck who was caught trying to steal the gold. The Ferengi are marched out of the airlock, and Mara demands that Quark gives her his final answer in the morning. On their way back to the bar, Quark bumps into Odo, but he does not tell the security officer anything about Mara's offer. Odo seems suspicious, and he is none too happy since O'Brien has had no luck finding out how the ambassador's shuttle was destroyed. Back on the runabout with Dax Bashir and Koloth, Bashir is having a conversation about the merits of battle with Koloth. Dax breaks into the conversation to inform them that they have arrived. The three soon beam down. Meanwhile, on Deep Space Nine, a group of Klingons accost the Cardassian delegation while they were on their way to the next conference. With Kira and some Starfleet personnel, the fight is stopped short and the Cardassians are able to make it to the conference. On Cardona 3, the crew are walking through what looks like an Old West town. Looks like something from, uh, you know, the Wild Wild West. They meet with a Ferengi in a bar, who then tells them to go visit the local crime boss. When they meet with the crime boss, he tells them that the Klingons left the planet after partaking in a few amenities that he had to offer. Namely, the company of some scantily clad red females. He tells them that the Klingons were heading to a forbidden area of space that myth states is protected by a giant bird. Uh, the area of space is called the Abyss. In Quark's bedroom, Mara sneaks into his room and wakes up the barkeep by grabbing him around the neck. She demands that he gives her his answer. He says that he does not know, and she says that he better decide quick. Because if she doesn't get her answer today, he will be dead tomorrow. To be continued. <laughs> Quark is in some trouble. He is. And to some degree, it's of his own making. But really, what is the deal with this Mara, this mysterious Mara? What does she want with Quark's bar? Right. What is she really 
And, I mean, I, I was really kind of appalled when Court tried to steal the gold. Oh, well, you know, burst my bubble. I thought he was a nice guy. <laughs> That's just it. Sometimes he's depicted as a nice guy that, you know, does some, some devious things, but nothing nothing all that bad. And right. then he is trying to steal from this, this lovely lady that's just wanting to buy his bar. <laughs> totally innocent. Well, how about that time when he was broadcasting his commercials with for basically, like, hoes, you know, the two <laughs> scantily clad ladies, and he's broadcasting this to the uh, visiting... Uh, was it Cardassian? I, I forgot what, what they were. That was last issue. That was issue number one of the series. Ah, right. That's Okay, so fine. So, but he was terrible. I mean, broad, taking over the entire broadcasting, uh, yeah, that was you know, a, over all the channels. That was just being, you know... Mischievous. Right. It wasn't like he was hurting anybody. He was just... Advertising. Cares, literally. Get his name out there. Broadcasting on all channels. Right. I thought I thought that was both funny and a little over the line. You thought it was over the line? I thought it was over the line. But this one, you, what do you think about this one? Well, it's it's over the line too, but come on. Gold press latinum? He's a Ferengi. That's too tempting. Right. So, so he wants both to keep the bar and to have the 1500 bars of latinum. Now, how could he possibly think he wouldn't get caught? I mean, really. Come on, Quark. I mean, even if even if your dumb brother gets in there and actually is able to steal it, come on. How is she not going to know it's Quark that is one of the few people that knows she has such a cache of riches? Right. Plus, you would think 1,500 bars of latinum is kind of weighty. And yeah, so how's he going to carry that out? Steal it out with yeah. and still be covert about it. Right. If he had access to a transporter, perhaps, but... Hmm. Anyways... Yes, exactly. I thought it was kind of cool where they, where both the Cardassians and the Klingons were were giving Cisco these veiled threats that weren't that veiled. <laughs> well, know, the Cardassian you know, one was kind of. I mean, I actually like that one better than than the Klingon one. Yeah, and this will happen a few more times in the future, and Gul Dukat is pretty good at <laughs> at these kind of things. Now I that was agree. the the one who said that about the the Federation or. Cisco actually being too comfortable to the chair. That was actually, uh, what's his name, Marek? Well, okay. In future issues, it's going to be Dal- Gal Dukat, oh, right. especially in the last issue. So that's what I was kind of referring to. Oh, okay, okay. I especially like the one we're going to get to at the end of the uh, end of this episode. Right. Okay. Well, then let's but, talk about that in a second. Yeah. So the Klingons are a little bit more blunt instruments. Where the Cardassians are a little bit more, you know, snaky right. about their veiled threats. And I did kind of, uh, you know, because I was trying to be brief in my synopsis, so I did right. kind of cut that. The the Klingons basically say, you need to abide by our demands or else. And then Cisco kind of puts them in his place by saying, oh, is that what Galron is saying? And then they're like, eh, we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So the Klingon, yeah. So, the so like in th- put in his place. Yeah, exactly. And and the Klingons are basically just saying, you know, hey, you're our buddies, you know, you're our, you know, you're either with us or against us, uh, and playing on the relationship, the friendly relationship that you know the Federation does have now. I right. don't think, 
I don't think the Federation has ever had a friendly relationship with the Cardassians. So. No, because they're evil slavers. Exactly. And isn't it amazing how close Cardassian is to Kardashian? I just wondered about that. Anyway. <laughs> oh, you think they changed their name so that they could sound more like Cardassians? I think so. I, I think, think it's just I think it's just a little bit too much of a coincidence, personally. I think there's a Saturday Night Live skit in there. <laughs> I think probably so. So I thought it was a really nice shot, the uh, runabout entering orbit around Keltara on page five. I thought that looked nice. The snow planet? Right. Page purple five, snow? that would have been the snow planet. Yes. Yeah, the purple snow planet. Well, it's pretty. I didn't say it made sense. <laughs> pretty. Pretty. Right. No, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, uh, and then, of course, the, the matching the... purple, uh, what, snow cat? Whatever the hell that thing was. Yeah, I called it a spare because it's, it's kind of... A spare. Spare. <laughs> yeah, it's huge and, and furry like a bear. But it's got the head of uh, like a wolf or something, or. Yeah, but then it has like the teeth of like a saber-toothed tiger. Oh, gotcha. So that's where the S comes from. Saber-tooth bear. Gotcha. I, did I say spare? I thought you did. What'd you say? Bear. Oh, okay. Maybe you're just slurring your words, or maybe I'm just hearing things. Maybe. Anyway. I'm, maybe I'm slurring too many margaritas this morning. Ooh. So yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Interesting coloring choices. But, uh, but, but yeah, so the snow is indeed white, even though the planet looks purple from space, and the critter that's supposed to be blending in with the background, which is clearly white, the critter is purple, so it's like interesting coloring choices. Well, the sky is purple, so maybe, maybe he blends in with the sky. Because he flies, and he wants to blend it into the... <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, all the critters on this planet, because they do show some, like, little smaller rodents and stuff. They're always purple, too. Yeah. On page seven. Right. Interesting color choices. Yeah. It's a, a weird planet. Right. So, speaking of going down to the planet, didn't you feel like the whole bracelet thing was really kind of stupid? I, I do have some comments on that, yes. I thought the bracelet... At first, I thought the bracelet thing was so beyond stupid. It's like, so you just don't want to draw... You're used to drawing them in their uniform, so you don't want to draw them with that nice, fuzzy coat. I love that, the coat on the cover. Them. That yeah, I thought, the, I thought the I coat was good. That's awesome. That was an awesome part of the uniform. Right. And how many times in Star Trek, when they go down to cold places, even next-gen time frame, they got coats on. You right. know, they don't have these these bracelets that they're coming out of the blue with. And besides, at first I was thinking, well, how the heck is that going to work? Okay, oh, it's a, it's a, it's basically a, uh, a force field. So you're is generating it? a force field. That's my understanding of it. Well, so it, it generates... I thought it was. It just says it'll protect us from the cold. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I guess I'm assuming it. That it's basically generating a force field around the person to hold heat in. It's just... Or does it generate heat also? Uh, or maybe generate cooling also when you're in a cold? I mean, if, you, if it is generating a force field and holding the existing heat in that you have before you beam down, it's like, okay. But how long does that last until, you know, or, or, or is the force field supposed to be 100% insular? Anyway, I thought too much about this, uh, plainly, clearly. Right. But uh, if it is a force field, it's like... That would be cool if it actually was able to guard you against phaser fire. You know, a little bit of a dune kind of thing going on or personal force <laughs> field kind of thing. Right. Now, that would be cool. 
Now, the only thing I kept thinking was, you know, I, I didn't think of the force field thing. Well, I kind of did, but I was thinking, well, maybe it somehow warmed up your blood, you know, right there at the wrist and then circulated right. warm blood, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah, not really. And, uh, I mean, basically I was just thinking that of the old um, filmation cartoon. So when they wanted Kirk and them to go to a planet that, or even go to the hull of the ship, they didn't have the resources to, you know, design and animate a new, you know, space suit. So what okay. they would do is they would just use this cop out that, oh, they have a bracelet that created this little force field. So then okay. they all they had to do was animate this little aura around, right? The, you know, the stock animation that they already had of Kirk and Spock, and then right. just, just stick them on the background of the spaceship. Ah. Uh, that's what I was thinking. I was like, it's did they not this the artists not want to draw the coat, not want to <laughs> depict them in something that they these actors have never been in. So right. we'll just go the old filmation route, and they they have a force field. Yeah, I, I was and, really and, and it's interesting they bothered to do that for the cover, but um, not for the uh, inside of the comic. So yeah, weird. Yeah, no, that 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 outfit on the cover looked really cool. With the uh, has kind of the like the uh, Wrath of Khan type away mission collar. You know the the right. Wrath of Khan right. Away so mission. you could zip it up and really be comfy with your right. neck and stuff, right? Right. Then the the actually has a belt, which we don't see very often, and then the belt has a Starfleet logo. Sure. Belt buckle. And they have gloves on. I mean, it, it's a nice-looking nice, nice looking uniform. Yeah, and the black and the uh, blue uh, really matches the normal uniform. Right. You know, exactly where they got the lines, where the black is and the blue is. and Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I liked it. They should have brought that forward. Even though, really, they started making me think, well, you know, a coat isn't very high-tech. Uh, at least you don't need batteries for it. But it's not very high-tech. Uh, wouldn't you think with this kind of level of technology they might be able to do something better than a coat? But, yeah. <laughs> well, there was that one episode of Deep Space Nine where where Odo basically had, or maybe it was Quark, had just like this thin little blanket, kind of like a, you know, uh, an emergency type blanket that looked mm-hmm. like it was paper thin, but it completely uh, prevented heat from escaping so he just wrapped himself up in this little blanket and it was supposed to be all nice and comfy oh I don't remember that do you remember that yeah I don't but cool well at least that's a little bit more advanced some material that's able to be that uh, insular but still that thin right right there you go yeah something like that yeah anyways I really hate to continue to give things away but Mara has a certain look to her, which, quite frankly, the first time I thought I saw her, I thought she was either a Vulcan or a another race. And right. then she made very clear in the previous issue that she's some other thing. Right. I forgot what it was. Yeah. But it's like, is it kind of obvious who's behind all this by this point? Mm. Yoda. Okay, we're not gonna we're we're not gonna spoil anything at this point. <laughs> Let me just suffice to say that the first time I saw her, I was pretty sure who was behind all this, but and that was I, in the last. Issue. I was not so sure. Okay, I mean, I I, I saw the if cover. It's their of MO. Issue, 
I saw the cover of issue number four before I started reading it, so I Oh, guess well, that would have ruined I it. I would have known, but... Now, uh, now, when I finally saw the cover of issue four, well, obviously, that's going to ruin it. Which, which right. well, we'll get to it. We'll stop talking about this, but... <laughs> well, speaking of her, uh, when she's having her little candlelight negotiations with mm-hmm. Quark, yes. what do you think about her... Are those pajamas, or what is it she's wearing? Because she's wearing something that's very, very sexy, loose fitting, and oh, she's trying to seduce him, obviously. But is she wearing pajamas? Because it, it 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 has a very unique look with a bunch of little stars and maybe oh. a sister. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh then, right? Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so that's issue one you're talking about, right? No, no, I'm talking about issue this Two? one. Okay, no, page eleven. Let me get to page eleven. When yeah, I, I remember her being in um, in an outfit that did look ridiculous. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, it, it. Okay, so it's a it's a white fabric for those of you who don't know the comic, and it's got black stars all over it, and of course a very plunging neckline. But it does look like pajamas, yes. Right, and we'll see it later, which which I didn't remember this scene when when the later scene happens when we right. we see the pajamas again but uh, I don't know I can't tell if it's pajamas or if it's just her outfit a lot of what the next gen characters wear look like pajamas so <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but this is kind of like negligee just because you right. can see through parts of it well see that's just it I can't tell yeah. can you see through a, are you supposed to be able to see through the whole thing because a lot of times it looks like you see the outline of the fabric and then you see the outline of her skin underneath uh, her like skin. her arms and shoulders and uh, and her Boobies. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I think the whole thing's supposed to be see-through. Yeah, I think so too. Only you're not seeing anything really, really provocative. So. Right. Well, it is. That's fine. It, it is, is a comic. It is a kids' comic. It's a G-rated comic. Well, yeah. Hopefully not 100% kids' comic, but yes. Since we're reading. Well, I'm the... just saying it wouldn't be in the mature-only section. Exactly. Of the comic exactly. Store. Right. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Let me see. Uh, I th- I thought it was interesting talking about the Enterprise possibly diverting, but three days away. I was thinking, oh wow, you know, we're going to see the next gen gang show up at the end. Uh, what excitement! I was thinking. Ah, of course, I'm not going to was... say what happens towards the end, but I'm just saying. I thought that I, was an unneeded plug. I didn't. Well, it's unneeded plug unless you're actually going to have them show up at the end and have a little brief crossover kind of thing, which really wasn't necessary, but. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, at at the time that this was coming out, they were starting to advertise the big DC Comics Malibu crossover that they were going to do with Deep Space Nine and Next Generation. Oh. So I mean, that was that was in the works when this was coming out. So people knew it was coming. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe this was supposed to be kind of a tease towards. Maybe it's this issue that they're going to happen. But well, so. yeah. It, yeah, I thought it was going to be in, in <clears throat> as part of this mini series. We might have seen the gang show up towards the end. But. Right. I just find it hard to believe that the closest starship is three days away, and it just happens to be the Enterprise. Right. Yeah. And another thing is, considering how hot a spot DS9 tends to be, mm-hmm. it's really and, and of course the, the the station itself has its own armaments, but it is kind of interesting that they've all they've really got are like little runabout stations around, you know. Right. It just yep. seems like they're kind of light on firepower if they need it. But 
Of course, they changed that with Defiant eventually, but not at this point in the storyline. It's coming up soon. Yes. 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 Uh, I agree. So I definitely got the Jabba the Hutt feel to <laughs> Mavok Bev Narin. Yeah, I didn't even justify him with the name because he's just a, a red Jabba. <laughs> exactly. Now, mind you, he's not a big slug. He's not that extremely huge. But, you know, he's a pretty uh, chunky humanoid guy. Yeah, he's uh, just but, lounging on some pillows with some, exactly. some, some lovely ladies yes, around him. Yes, red slave girls all around him. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I thought was interesting, and another clue, is that the Klingons brought some Romulan ale. Yeah, I didn't really... I, I didn't understand Romulan. why they why they would buy Romulan ale. They hate Romulans. They need prune juice. Well, That's you a know, warrior's drink. I, I, <laughs> but only Worf knows about that, apparently. Right. So Romulan ale is a very, very popular drink. But it's just interesting how many times they brought it up in this uh, miniseries. Right. Yeah, I skipped that again in the in the in the synopsis for uh, to make it a little briefer. But yeah, so in addition to the company of some of these red-skinned women, they also took aboard some Romulan ale. Right. And I was always almost wondering if there was explosives in the bottles or something, maybe. Mm. But um, probably not as we find out later. But that is something that came to mind as I was reading this issue. Now, when it shows uh, the Jabba the Hutt guy yeah. sitting in that first panel on right. page 23, okay. does some of those red-skinned women look like Mara? Uh, I mean, with, with the ears? Well, the upper left-hand one does. Right. But the other ones have, like, well, so they're all different races, it looks like. The, the lower right one looks like a human blonde, only with red skin. The lower left one clearly has these ridge kind of things on, on both sides of her forehead, so that's mm -hmm. different. And then the upper right-hand one looks like she's got cat ears or something coming out of her blonde hair. Right. And then yeah, the upper left-hand one... I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be like some sort of barrette or something. Or right. Flower. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. It's a small picture. Right. And then the upper left-hand one definitely had the uh, pointy ears that stuck out like Mara. Right. Only Mara's not red-skinned. So. True. Hmm. But why does a race all have to be the same colored skin, kid? Sheesh. Well, they don't have to. But these are, these are all the same colored skin, yet clearly they have uh, head features at the very least that right. make them look like different races, which is kind of interesting. I think he dyed them. <laughs> That's his thing. He just likes red. He likes red. It's my favorite color. We're gonna change your skin color. You won't mind. Maybe they swim around in a uh, a vat of red liquid. Ah, red they... dye number two. Yes, dye them just like a Easter egg. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. My last comment is about the town they go to. That yes. looks like a old west town. Right. All made out of wood and with the same kind of spittoons on the side of the doorways and right. things like that. I thought that was a little much. Nah. Well, so that was supposed to be some kind of a, um, you know, a, a frontier town, a, um, a colony town or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the wormhole. Right. 
and I don't know, I just don't buy that you would have these, you know, old west features in a alien frontier world. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I could kind of get a little bit of it, but then they, I think they just go too far with, you know, having the the barrels on the side of the doors and Oh, right, yeah. Jars. on the street. Yeah, right. So it's just you're trying too hard to make it look like an old west town. Right. It took me out of it. Oh, yeah. I just I just went with it personally, but yeah, I can see how that would. So they just made their decision. Well, what do we want this place to look like? Um, let's make it look like an old west town, but with alien lettering all over the place to right. make it look like a alien place. Yeah. Right. They they could have done more to differentiate it from a western kind of look, but yeah. And then I find it funny that a Ferengi is already known as the the go-to guy for information on this planet. I mean, because Ferengis in any of the Alpha Quadrant species have only been going to the Gamma Quadrant for, what, two years, three years maybe? Right. So he's already that important in this little town? Well, like in the Old West, when they started expanding westward, people had opportunities because it was a brand new place. And who is best positioned to take advantage of a situation? A Ferengi. Yeah. And something I didn't get at first was, I mean, there's an Andorian there. There's a lot of Alpha Quadrant aliens there. So so this, and I guess I didn't get it the first time, but so this is supposed to be mostly Alpha Quadrant aliens establishing places in the Gamma Quadrant. That's what this place yeah, is. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I, would, okay. I wouldn't think so. I would think that okay. it was just a, a small town out in the middle of nowhere and... And these Alpha Quadrant people are, are... Are there also. Just happen to be going there. Okay. At least that's the way I took it. Okay, and that could so right, well yeah. be. But there are a lot of Alpha Quadrant aliens that we've seen before. Well, at least There's a few. two of them. Well, how about... Okay, so the red guy with the forearms, we've never seen those guys before? The I bartender? Uh-uh. Okay. Or the scarecrow-looking guy. Uh, <laughs> when they first walk up to the bar, there's a, a guy that looks like a scarecrow. Uh... On page... 20. Okay, I'm on page 20. Scarecrow. When they first walk up to the barkeep and he says, help oh, you. Oh, the guy with the blonde hair? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, with no nose? Okay, he, I, he, I got you. He looks you. like a scarecrow to me. Okay, cool. Sorry. No, I, I guess if I had to use a name, I guess I, I may come up with a scarecrow. A quick, quick word to describe him, to, to label him. I guess I right. could say that too. All right. What else you got on this issue? I got nothing else on this issue. All right. You want to jump to the next one? Please, let's do. So this is issue number three of Hearts and Minds miniseries, and it's titled Into the Abyss. Published date is August 1994. Most of the people are the same. I think I think color design is different. Barry Gregory. Inkers Terry Pallet, penciler Rob Davis, writer is Mark A. Altman, letterer Patrick Owsley, and the editor is Mark Panacea. The cover shows Dax, Bashir, and a Klingon walking through a jungle together. They are confronted by what appears to be a Romulan armed with a disruptor. The story opens with Quark leaving his quarters in a green hooded robe to meet Odo incognito. Quark meets Odo in an out-of-the-way spot at the top of one of the docking pylons. Quark takes Odo by the arms, telling Odo he has to save him. 
Odo finally relents and tells Quark he will see what he can do. Quark asks Odo what the plan is. Odo says, sell her the bar. Quark says, uh, that's not quite what I had in mind. Jake and Sisko have a very early morning talk. Jake confesses his fear of all the talk of the coming war. Sisko says he is trying to do all he can to avert it, but it's frustrating since neither side wants to listen to the other. Jake jokingly suggests his father should throw them a curveball if they aren't chasing his fastball. That apparently gives Sisko an idea. On the runabout deck, Odo joins O'Brien for an update on his examination of the exploded runabout debris. O'Brien states that whoever planted the bomb knew what they were doing. There is no trace as to who did this or how. Odo said that in itself is a clue. Odo is off to investigate the mysterious Mara, who is not all she appears to be. Later, Mara calls Quark at the appointed time to twist the Ferengi's arm to sell her the bar. Surprisingly, this time, Quark says he will sell. She says she will be by the bar at four to complete the transaction. Quark says he will be there and on time. When the channel closes, we see Odo standing next to Quark. It is all part of Odo's plan to catch Mara and hopefully get to the bottom of what she is up to on the station. Meanwhile, in the Gamma Quadrant, Dax's expedition streaks towards the area of space known as the Abyss. They discuss the legends of doom to all that venture into the Abyss. The Klingon Koleth takes this opportunity again to state the Cardassians destroyed the Katang and they will pay for their misdeeds. Dax states the Katang was a formidable Katang-class ship and that should not have been destroyed so easily by even a Cardassian Galor-class warship. Meanwhile, in a Cardassian warship parked near Deep Space Nine, Gul Dukat is making war plans with his command staff. Plans are made to invade and take Bajor and Tarek Nor, in addition to attacking Klingon ships both at the station and massing near Cardassian space. Merak enters with bluster and attempts to end Dukat's preparations for war. Dukat shows him a pad with orders from the top. If the Klingons do not rescind the declaration of war in ten hours, Dukat and most of the Cardassian forces will attack the Klingons and whatever Federation forces get in their way. Meanwhile, at Quark's bar, Mora and her large, goonish henchman, Delgar, enter ready to complete the transfer of ownership. Before Quark signs, he says there's just one more thing. Actually, about five more things. But the first one is to keep Ram on the payroll at the bar. Finally, he signs and leaves the bar with a heavy case of gold-pressed latinum. The transaction complete, Mara gives her henchman-slash-lover a bottle of Romulan ale as a going-away gift. He will be leaving, but is planning to return, perhaps with company? Meanwhile, Quark is talking to Morn in another part of the station. He is talking him into leveraging his job in the cargo bay to find out what Mara is really transporting to the Gamma Quadrant. Later still, Delgar is on Mara's ship, the Arva, requesting departure permission from station control. Permission is granted and he departs. 
In Dalgar's cabin, a bottle of Romulan ale sits all alone as the ship departs. Meanwhile, in the Gamma Quadrant, Dax's expedition fly among the wreckage of the Katang. They take aboard a bent and battered piece of wreckage for analysis. They detect radiation from plasma weapons that at first they think were the Katang's own weapons. Fire. But Koloth tells them the Katang reported losing deflectors and weapon systems due to sabotage just before they were destroyed. That means the plasma weapons were the attacker's weapons, but Cardassians do not use plasma-based weapons. Odds are the Cardassians did not do it, but if not them, then who? Back at DS9, the Klingons and Cardassian delegations are at the table with Sisko mediating. The Klingons are angrily questioning the Cardassians about the large number of ships that arrive at DS9 recently. The Cardassians say they are just rotating crews, but the Klingons wisely do not buy it. Sisko ends the bickering by throwing them a curveball. He tells them if they want to kill each other that much, they should just shut up, get in their ships, and have at it. If they don't want that, then they should sit down and shut up. Sisko keeps up the offense and tells them to remove all of their ships from the quadrant except for one command ship on each side or the negotiations are over. He gives them one hour to consider it and he walks out of the room. Sisko goes to his office and finds Kira and Quark in there. Quark tells them Odo is on the Arvas, which left for the Gamma Quadrant. He is investigating Tal Burrell's murder and thinks Mara has something to do with it. The icing on the cake is when Quark opens a box containing part of the Arvas cargo that Morn relieved them of before departure. Quark dumps out two Romulan disruptor pistols on the desk. In the Gamma Quadrant, on the Arvas, Delgar is at the con talking to a Romulan named Talar on the view screen. Talar is telling Delgar that he has done a great job and to stand by for further instructions. In the meantime, in Delgar's cabin, the bottle of Romulan ale morphs into none other than Odo. Back at the site of the Katang's destruction, Dax's team takes their runabout down to the surface of a nearby planet to investigate strange readings from the surface. On their way down, they spot a Chichen Itza Mayan-style pyramid on the surface. It's a rough landing during the storm, but they make it. They leave the runabout and walk through rain to the pyramid. Julian spots on the ground the biggest mouse pad you ever saw right in front of the pyramid, and he does not like what he sees. Back at DS9, Sisko's gambit is paying off. Both sides remove their ships except for two ships, which is giving them the much-needed breathing room they need. O'Brien informs Sisko, the captain of the USS Carapleides, on routine patrol, has spotted a fleet of Cardassian warships hiding in the Mutara Nebula. Sisko informs Admiral Kernwell and next contacts Gul Dukat. He tells Dukat that a fleet of 30 starships are on their way. Dukat says by the time they arrive, this battle will be over. If Sisko knows what's good for him, he will ask for the Cardassians' protection from the Klingon aggressors. Back at the Gamma Quadrant, Dax and Koloth have joined Dr. Bashir in looking at the obviously Romulan building. 
while Dax and Bashir are talking about getting the heck out of there to report back to DS9 and get help, Koleth wants to go down and catch the Romulans red-handed. The party's mind is made up when five Romulan soldiers come up behind them with disruptors drawn. The leader welcomes them and says, We've been expecting you. To be continued. The the mouse pad, just for everybody who know, wants to know, is <laughs> a landing pad, and it has the Romulan logo on it. Exactly. And if you're going to have a clandestined base <laughs> in foreign space, that's exactly what you want to do. <laughs> you want to put a big slab out there that you can see practically from space, probably, with your own logo. That's what you want. Right, of course. <laughs> no, I agree with you. That that part was a little odd. And also, <laughs> who built the pyramid? Did, did the Romulans build it, or did it just happen to already be there, and they just put the landing pad in front of it? Uh, I have the impression it's their building. Uh, okay, I wasn't sure. But they don't say, but, but I, I just I, – I, I have the impression that they built that building. Why would they build it like that? I mean, it, I don't know. But I think I think the artist just said, you know, I'm gonna make this look like a uh, Mayan uh, pyramid. Right. Yeah. So I mean, the Mayan pyramids that I think you're talking about made a guest appearance in Star Wars Episode Four, in that it was the the rebel base on Yavin Four. If you remember that. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> So I don't remember that. When I'm looking through this, and then I turn the page, and oh my god, they're on Yavin Four. Because <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's the same pyramid, the same like foresty areas around it. Yeah. And then, well, um, my honeymoon, my wife and mine, obviously, uh, was in uh, Cancun, and we went to Chichen Itza, mm-hmm. and basically that's it. I mean that. The, the, the main pyramid looks pretty much just like this, and it's surrounded by forest, too. So they might have been modeling it off of the Star Wars reference, but it right, looks like right, they, right. they, they yeah. modeled it off of the, the Mayan pyramid at Chichen Itza. Right, sure. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Cause, what? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Star Wars one, they filmed it at that place, so it's not – it's the, the real pyramid is the, the progenitor of all of it. Right. Right. Just seems an odd choice to make your base look like a ancient Earth pyramid. Exactly, because they could have mixed that up a bit. I mean, they did, you know, the, those big steps that take you all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have to put that there. Sure. And, and and that's one of the defining characteristics, I think, of the uh, of the Mayan pyramid, at least the one that that I saw mm-hmm. in that one location. I mean, they could have mixed it up a little bit, but they. Uh, right. They they really like that design. And I mean, they put it on there. They should have done like it. I mean, if if the Romulans built it, which which I'm not buying that they did, but if they built it, it should have been more Roman looking. Because isn't that what oh, they were kind of always going with? Is, yep. Is, they were always their, going with that kind of yeah, thing. Their technology or their infrastructure was was supposed to be you know ancient Roman inspired. Right. Because basically they were supposed to be Romans. That was right. the template for the whole race. Right. Right. Anyways, thought that was an odd choice for a base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just the beginning of the odd things, as we will see. For such a clever race, 
they do multiple stupid things in this uh, towards the end of this <laughs> this series. <laughs> now you keep mentioning that uh, Odo was a bottle of Romulan ale. Right. Do they actually say that, or are you just saying it because it's green? Well, he tur- okay. So when when Mara and her henchmen came to get the money, or you know, to do the transaction with Quark, Quark mm-hmm. is sitting there drinking Romulan ale. And I didn't mention this in the synopsis. Well, but, you did mention it. That that hmm, I I mentioned that Quark was drinking Romulan ale. Okay. Uh, well, I don't remember and, that. And, but. and the very first word balloon, he says that he's it's his last bottle of an Aldrian whiskey, which is what I thought the bottle was supposed to be. Oh, did I get that totally wrong? Oh boy. Okay. I might have but, gotten I mean, that completely wrong. It is wrong. green, and Romulan ale is supposed to be green. So right. Uh, you're not way off base, but I, I was—I just assumed that it was that he was—he was, you know, playing it up for them walking in that this was supposed to be Aldrian whiskey. Okay. Well, the main point, whether whatever liquid it was, Odo was there. I mean, that—that that was the whole thing. I think the whole plan was that Quark draws attention to the alcohol, and then the alcohol is taken by uh, the big guy back to the ship, and that's how he gets his way into the uh, Gamma Quadrant. Right. Now, I think the whole thing is like, it, it's, like a, it's like a Hogan's Hero thing, or maybe a Mission Impossible <laughs> thing, or whatever. It's like so many things have to go right for your plan to work. It's right. like, it's really unrealistic. But yeah, so... Is the liquid supposed to be Odo too, or is oh, it just I, I the, the whole the bottle? bottle. Yeah. Okay. So let's. Okay. So you're. you're yeah. I've got some notes on that because I'm. I'm wondering. It's like. Okay. What if they actually drank some of the bottle, some right. of the contents of the bottle? Would they actually be consuming part of Odo? Ew. And. <laughs> and would he ever get that back, or would it be like digested in those those people, and, and he'd never have that part of himself back? Well, he could wait a couple of days and get it back. Oh, <laughs> mm, ah. No, I, I, I was thinking, well, maybe the liquid was real and Odo was and, and just he was the, the bottle, right? And, and that probably would have made more sense, but I'm but just that. I'm just still, I'm, I'm with you that I was like, man, that was, man, that's co- a good coincidence that they happened to take that bottle back to the ship. Uh, exactly. Come on. And especially uh, with that little flirtatious thing at the end where she, he's, uh, she says, take this bottle. Uh, go ro- on your run, and when you come back, I'll be waiting for you wearing what you gave me for my birthday. Yeah. And he says, I didn't give you anything for your birthday. And she says, exactly. Exactly. So what yes. if that was, instead of go on your run and come back, what if it was like, take this bottle, meet me in the hollow suite in about 20 minutes, yeah. and I'll be wearing what you gave me for your birthday. <laughs> and then well, Odo, has to, Odo has to go for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, and it's like Odo's sitting there as the bottle. <laughs> I wish they'd get on with this. Come on. My plan is not going very smoothly right now. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so so that last shot where they show the bottle just sitting there, it's like, well, is that it, – because it wasn't obvious where it was to me. So is that still sitting at the bar? But then as I continue to read, oh, oh, that's actually Delgar's room. Because so, on page 19, you actually see – the bottle turning into Odo towards the bottom of that page. Right. 
So at first I didn't I didn't quite get what was happening, but then it's like, oh, okay, that's the bottle. That bottle is Odo. It's on the ship. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you that too many things had to happen just right for that plan to ever have a chance of working. Exactly. But fortunately for us, all those things that did happen, so we're good. Yeah, but the thing is, what is Odo going to actually do? He's going to confirm that you know that these guys are are Romulans and who were behind it and things like that. That's fine. But then, what's he going to do? He's on this ship. Where's he going to go? What you know? What what's going to happen? So, uh, in the end, as we see, what does happen is like, oh well, isn't that handy? Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to talk about the future too much. Right. Right. How do you like Jake's uh, Kittimer game? Which I didn't mention, but he's got a little Kittimer game complete with a Enterprise C, which is pretty cool. Uh, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a nice little reference to Kittimer and, uh, you know, shows that kids in the future will still be playing video games, which is (laughs) nice to know. But 3D in your face video games, hologram ish kind of sort of thing. Right. Yeah, the only the only thing that's a little dated now is he's having to wear gloves in order to play it. Cause oh, it's, right. It's motion controlled or reading right. his his hand gestures in some right. way. Right. Where we now know that we can do that without special gloves. Uh, exactly. Although not well. Uh, so you're talking about the um, like the Kinect, the Xbox, Xbox Connect. Yeah. Right. Have you ever used one of those? Yeah. Yeah, we got one. Does it work pretty well, or is you have to do things a couple times before it actually registers things? Uh, it depends on how much light you have in your room, right? Ah, so, interesting. Uh, as long as it's well lit, I think it, it's pretty responsive. But okay. if it gets a little dark, then a lot of times it kind of loses you. Okay. And cool. uh, you, you'll just be standing there while your your guy is getting, you know, pummeled to death by whatever you were supposed to be dodging. <laughs> <laughs> I dodged. You should have seen that. Okay. So, uh, good point. Yes. In the future, I'm sure we won't have anything. Uh, you know, no gloves necessary. Right. Uh, and, and the and the drawing is good because that's that's an ambassador class ship, right? Yep. Yep. So I mean, you can tell it's a, an ambassador class ship. So they they went to the trouble of drawing it right. Yeah, I think the bottom looks a little off. Uh, it's a little too meaty in the uh, engineering section, but uh. for the most part, it looks okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> right. And and everybody who who's listening will know that the Enterprise C was destroyed at. Kittimer and yeah. when it was not destroyed it caused a big war with the Klingons but then when it went back it was destroyed Klingons realized that Federation were good guys and honorable and we've been best friends ever since. Best buddies. <laughs> Which they take advantage of in issues like this. <laughs> so what do you think of the on page 7 the the artistic choice of showing the Windows of the runabout kind of yes. superimposed over just space. I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, because so at the top of the the panel, they've got the runabout clearly running through space, and then directly below the runabout, they have superimposed kind of a picture of looking through the windows of the runabout to see Dax and Bashir talking to each other at the pilot's and co-pilot station, I guess. And uh, it's kind of... I, I like how they did it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, though, but it's it looks good. Yeah. It's a visual style that could you could only do in a comic book. Right. Without it looking really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if they I, tried to do that in a movie, you'd be like, oh, I'm out. 
<laughs> really? Oh, well, I don't know. They, they might it, be able to do it right. If I it just know, showed not. a... I mean, that's... I think that's the problem that that, that Ang Lee Hulk movie had, is that they tried to incorporate visual styles from the comic book into a movie, and it just doesn't quite work right. Oh, you know, is that By having pictures did? bleed into other panels kind of thing, and... Oh. I mean, that works well with a static picture, but with a moving movie. picture, it just looked kind of weird. Ah. So that's what was wrong with that movie. Okay. Uh, that's one of the things that was wrong with it. Okay. <laughs> to me, the ending uh, is what made that movie bad. Just it was so nonsensical. Yeah. It just it it just seemed a bit too abstract for me. But, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So um. So is it amazing how the rain just never seems to mess with anybody's hair? Well, it's because they have those bracelets on. Oh. Oh, is that it? Did, did they? No, I didn't see the bracelets. No, but I had the same comment, and I was like, well, it must be those magic bracelets that somehow it's... <laughs> the water just glances off somehow. Well, yeah, okay, and, and so it's another, it's another thing like like being on the on the, uh, being on being Hoth. So they're, they, they don't want to bother changing anything about how they draw people. So they have the magic bracelet and the ice planet thing. And then here it's raining. I mean, they're walking a ways from the runabout to get to the uh, to get to the pyramid. Mm-hmm. So they got to be soaked. I mean, soaked. But you look at them and you see the rain rain coming down, especially in the final panel. And it's like their hair is perfect. It's like I don't know. <laughs> Took me out of the moment. It did. It did. Yeah. I mean, why even have the rain in there? Or why did you have them in the snow if you weren't right. going to depict them as being in it? Yeah. And by the way, kudos for putting them into situations that are not typically what they do in the original series, or even next gen to a large degree. When they go to new planets, it tends to be, you know, a nice regular shirt kind of weather. You know, around 70 degrees, something comfortable. Uh, no rain or anything, typically. And so at least they tried to mix it up a little bit in this. But if you're going to do that, go all the way. Right. Yeah, you can't do can't do it halfway. Right. Anyway. All right. Anything else? Um, yeah, we already talked about the Odo alcohol. Uh, oh, I, I like seeing Morn do something. It's always oh, nice yeah. to see Morn do something. Right. Although the one thing I was wondering about that is, was that Quark's idea to get Morn to do that to see what the what the stuff was there, or was that Odo part of Odo's plan and Odo told Quark to do it? I was thinking it, that it was Odo. Okay, because if it is Quark's idea to do that, it's like, okay, you know, at the one point you're trying to steal Mara's stuff, at uh, the other moment you're actually doing things that is actually helping the situation. So it's like a, a kind of flippy kind of thing, especially if it was doing it on his own. But uh, yeah, that does it does it made more sense to me that it would be Odo's idea and Quark was carrying it out, but couldn't tell from the comic. Right. No, I was thinking that it was Odo's idea, but then they do make some comments in the next issue about how illegal it would be to go through someone's stuff, so that doesn't sound like Odo. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Right. Okay. Oh, um, I got one more thing about the Odo thing, sure. about him being the, the, the alcohol in the, in the, in the flask. Mm-hmm. I kept on thinking about this thing, so another thing is, if they did take a drink, and if it was Odo was the liquid too, not just the vessel on the outside, then not only would they be drinking Odo, ooh, 
but would they catch a buzz? So <laughs> is Odo that good? <laughs> that they would take his ship-shafting abilities. <laughs> yeah, so is he that good in his ship-shafting abilities? He's that accurate that he would ac- actually cause him to catch a buzz. That's my last yeah. theory. I don't know. I think and, too much. And what would he things. taste like? I don't know. Odo flavored, or is he that good that it would actually taste like uh, whatever that alcohol was supposed to be? I don't know. Good point. Very yeah. good question. I don't know. Or is it just shape shifting, not all the other senses? I don't know. I would think it's just okay. shape shifting. I don't yeah. think he would I, smell I, I, and I, taste any different. I mean, it's enough of a a, a problem trying to take a hundred and ninety pound person man and shrink it down to the size of a you know bottle of uh, cognac or whatever. Right. Yeah. Let's not get too ridiculous. I, I always have a hard time with it. Yeah. I liked in Terminator Two where he, they actually make reference that you know the liquid guy can you know reform himself into anything right. but he can't it always has to be the same mass he can't yeah. he can't uh, shrink himself to a little mouse and run across a piece of paper or something like that right he's always going to be a 200 pound thing whatever whatever right. he shifts into yeah that's one thing I, I think they 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 miss with Odo yeah. it doesn't make sense yeah alright anything else uh no not for that one all right, so last thing is, and I'm not going to talk about it very much, but they do have an advertisement at the end of this issue where it's a uh, interview with Mike W. Barr and Michael Jan Friedman mm-hmm. in regards to the big DC Malibu Star Trek Next Generation Deep Space Nine crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're big fans of Mike Barr and Michael Jan Friedman, so anybody listening to this, I, I would recommend you just looking that over. It's a two page little interview, it's actually pretty interesting. That's it. Cool. All right. Uh, it does look it does look good. Uh, the 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 artistry is quite nice for the uh, for that article. They have a nice little uh, group drawing of members of both TV series uh, main characters. Right. Yeah, I don't know where in the rotation we have that miniseries being read, but it should probably be coming up pretty soon, I would think. Cool. That would be very cool. All okay. right. Shall we move on? Please. Oh, here it is. Uh, we're actually going to be doing that in issue number 125. So, 125? 135? 125. 125. Okay, it's not too terribly far off. Uh, no, just seven, seven episodes. Okay. All right, great. All right, so the next issue, and also the last of this miniseries, is entitled Part 4, Masters of War. Um, I think... Everybody's the same. Maybe Susan Dorn being the letterer is new. Uh, Barry Gregory, uh, the color design. Boo Tones is the color specs. Uh, aside from that, the writer and penciler and inker are all the same. All right, so the cover shows a massive Romulan warbird in a tiny little Federation runabout face-to-face above a backdrop of the wormhole opening up. So uh, kind of a one-sided fight, if you ask me. So the story starts off with Bashir, Dax, and Koloth being captured by the Romulans uh, on the planet that's in the area known as the Abyss that we all saw last issue. Um, The Romulans have created a base of operations here on the planet. Uh, Well, I guess that's conjecture. 
the Romulans have either created a base that looks like an ancient Earth pyramid, or they have borrowed a um, base that just happens to look like an ancient Earth pyramid here on the planet. Back on Deep Space Nine, in what used to be Quark's bar, Mara is pouring a Bajoran a drink and looks to be enjoying her new job. Kira and a security team arrive, and they tell her that Cisco needs her now. Very uh, demanding. We flash to Cisco's office. He shows her the phasers that they found in her cargo, or actually Morn found. Uh, she refuses to tell them how or why she has the Romulan weapons, even after Kira nearly hits her. Getting nowhere, Cisco locks her up in the brig. Back in the Romulan pyramid, Bax and Deshir are taken out of their cells to have a shrimp cocktail dinner with the Romulan leader named Talar. Oh, shrimp cocktail. I thought that was an odd choice, since there doesn't seem to be any oceans anywhere around that uh, pyramid, yet they're having shrimp cocktail. Maybe these are Romulan shrimps from the ship. Anyways, Bashir becomes unruly when Talar will not tell him where Koloth is. He is eventually escorted out by a couple of guards. Dax stays and tells Talar a story about when she was in a previous host. The time was sometime during the original series, so everybody's wearing uh, blue and yellow shirts. Dax is a male who just happens to look exactly like a young Sean Connery. He and some Commodore have crash-landed on a planet in a shuttlecraft. A Romulan party shows up and finds the two officers, and they offer to... <clears throat> And they offer medical assistance to the injured Commodore. Dax tells the story to show Talar that the Romulans were once honorable. In front of the pyramid, the ship that Odo has been aboard has landed, and the boxes of disruptors are being offloaded. No one notices a slimy puddle of ooze slip out of the ship and reform into Odo once it's inside the base. In the Deep Space Nine brig... Kira pays another visit to Mara and actually smacks her around some. She demands that Mara tell her where the ship was heading since Odo is aboard. She slips up and practically tells her that she loves Odo and is worried for him. In the Romulan headquarters, Talar tells and shows Dax how they did the illusion of the Cardassian ship destroying the Klingon ship in a very James Bondian type Fashion. They had someone on Deep Space Nine disable some sensors. Then one of the women that the Klingons invited up to the ship for their tryst finished the job adjusting the sensors. Once this was done, when the Romulan ship started to attack, all the Klingon sensors showed it was a Cardassian. Why he's telling her all this, I don't know, but let's just go with it. In the conference room... Back on Deep Space Nine, the Cardassian and Klingons are still getting nowhere, and the Klingons leave to start a war that has been brewing for the last three issues. Sisko orders all the runabouts to surround the Cardassian ship to act as a shield to the, Klingons uh, to the Klingon vessel. In the brig, Mara uses a device that she had hidden somewhere on her or in her to disable the force field that was on the door. She knocks the guard out cold and is on the loose. She makes her way to Quark's to find him having a drink. She forces him to show her how to get to the runabout launching area 
through air ducts. At phaser point, he shows her the way. Once there, they are greeted by none other than Kira. She is able to shoot Mara before Mara was able to shoot either Kira or Quark. Very anticlimactic for her story. Dax returns to the holding cell with Bashir. Before too long, the door opens again and they are surprised to find Odo. He gives them a disruptor and they start to head towards the runabout. Bashir says he cannot go anywhere without Koloth and leaves the group in search for the Klingon. Around Deep Space Nine, more Cardassian ships have arrived. Sisko is still ordering the runabouts to stay between the Cardassian and the Klingon fleets. Back in the base, Bashir eventually finds where Koloth is being kept. He has to take out a few Romulans along the way, but he's able to free his new friend. The two depart and are beamed up right at the last minute before a disruptor blast could kill them both. The runabout heads as fast as it can towards the wormhole. Back around Deep Space Nine, more Klingon ships have arrived. It does not look like the runabouts can continue to shield the two forces from each other. Just as the first volley is about to start the war, the wormhole opens up and the runabout pops out, soon followed by a Romulan warbird. Koloth quickly tells the Klingon commander that the Romulans were the ones that destroyed the ship and not the Cardassians. The Klingon fleet then opens up on the Romulan ship and it is quickly destroyed. War has been averted. The Klingons and the Cardassians each return home. Quark is back as owner of the bar, and Sisko and Jake take to the Hollow Suite to finish the last three innings of their game. The end. There you go. The conclusion is presented to us. And how do they wrap it up? All nice and with a bow on top? Well, it's not as good as I was hoping for. Agreed. And, a- and, and, and my, main, my main complaint is well I got several complaints but the main complaint is the Romulans in a big old warbird without cloaking on at all come through the wormhole after the runabout and completely basically say yeah we did everything you know and stick their hands out to be cuffed it's like are you guys dumb it's like stick their hands out to be cuffed they they're just destroyed well, I, I know, but what I'm saying is they're voluntarily incriminating themselves. I mean, what what is this like, like an old Keystone Cops thing or something where they're they're so or or maybe a, a, a wily e. Coyote Roadrunner thing? They're so intent on chasing after the Roadrunner or runabout in this case that they end up going over the cliff. It's like, come on, they're not that dumb. I think they were, <laughs> and they got cloaking device. At least put the cloaking device on. And, and by the way, I thought the abyss was maybe a little distance away from the mouth of the wormhole. So it's like, you couldn't catch up with a runabout? I mean, look at the size of your ship. I don't know. Right. No, it doesn't make sense. But but it is handy to wrap up the story quickly. Because that way, you know, a Romulan ship coming through the wormhole at that point, it, you don't have to convince anybody. Everybody can just look at it and say, oh, they did it, you know. So it's like, well, that's handy. <laughs> no, I I agree. And I got the feeling that this abyss area was a good distance away from the wormhole. Right. So the runabout, like you said, was able to keep in front of them the, this whole time. Right. Seemed a little weird. Yeah. 
yep. convenient. Very convenient, isn't it? Hmm. Uh, yeah. So, but other than that, I like the series. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, they had a, you know, some others. I, I like seeing a little bit of Dax history. And you're right. I didn't notice that he looks kind of like Sean Connery, uh, Dax, in the in a previous host. But now that you mention it, yeah, it does kind of <laughs> look like. I thought it kind of looked like Bashir a little bit. It did but, look a little like Bashir. Right. Especially with the blue uh, uniform. And isn't it cool that, that they had a, you know, he had a badge, a uniform badge, uh-huh. that insinuated a different ship. Right, yeah, it's the USS cool. Const- Constellation. Right, so that that was kind of a nice nod. I like that. No, it was good. I, I like that part. Uh, I didn't know why Dax looked like Sean Connery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't really understand the whole point of that story. So the Romulans offered assistance to the Commodore instead of trying yes. to kill them. Uh, kill them or capture them. Right. And that's proof that the Romulans used to be honorable. I, I just yeah, because obviously we had a Romulan Federation war at first, right? Back in the post Enterprise days, pre Taz days. Right. So obviously they weren't so honorable then, but then in the after the war at some point, they become honorable, and then and then they become uh, paranoid jingoists. I love that word, jingoists. <laughs> by the time we get to uh, Taz and Next Gen, or no, no, Next Gen, Next Gen. Even though we tangled with them in Taz time frame, also, so right. it's like I don't know. Yeah, because this, this story, that that little side story, obviously had to take place after the Enterprise met up with the Romulans in Balance of Terror. Right. Because you know, Sean Connery is not surprised that the <laughs> Romulans look just like Vulcans. Right. Um, but yeah, so the Romulans kind of hate us during the Taz time because you know we That's snuck in and, and stole their. Cloaking device. Cloaking device. And, and plus we tangled with them multiple times. Right. So So I find it hard to believe that one that one of these two people are on the wrong side of the border. <laughs> right? I mean Right. Either the Romulans are on the Federation side or Dax was on the Romulan side. But but either way, somebody's not where they're supposed to be and exactly. I, I find it hard to believe that they're all like, Hey, let's just patch you up and send you on your way. Right. Now, it's possible that might have been an individual Romulan commander's choice or his mm-hmm. position, but the idea that the race in general were a lot nicer guys back then before they became uh, so paranoid. Right. And by the way, I had no, I, I, I had never hear, heard the word jingoist before, so I think it's great that they use such words like that in a comic book. It's kind of like the old Batman show. Some of the words they would use in the Batman show were definitely not dumbing things down. I mean, uh, which is kind of interesting. But this one they use the word jingoist. I had to look it up. Yeah. So, so that's what what ex- is the what is the it, definition? Ex- extreme patriotism in the form of aggressive foreign policy. In practice, it's the country's advocation of the use of threats or actual force against other countries in order to safeguard what it perceives as its national interests. And I can go on, but I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, yeah, that's, I guess the Romulans are indeed acting like that in this uh, in this issue. I'm glad you looked it up. Yeah, well. I assume that's what it meant, 
just from the context of what she was right. saying. But I exactly did not bother to look it up. Right. <laughs> well, I was I was interested in in the big word right. that was being used in a comic book. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And I thought it was kind of interesting that the Romulan commander, uh, Talar or whatever, was so interested with Dax and being... Um, Describing their whole plan? Well, that was handy, wasn't it? But 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 he was so interested with Dax being a symbiote or right. having a symbiote in her, uh, a combined life form. Uh, I think that was very handy. <laughs> but also, that was a decent... That was a decent kind of... Um, Reason, motivation, for the uh, commander to at least open up his kimono to uh, Dax. Did he kind of dig her chili or what? I don't know. I don't know. He was suggesting that she could go with him. Yeah. When she, she when he when when he rotates off. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just it just seemed like a really convenient way to fill us the 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 reader in on the backstory. Right. Yeah. It it was convenient. Love to. I mean, it was great that that he was like most evil villains would uh, tell the entire plan to the hero when they think they've got them, but in the end they don't. <laughs> but still, at least they gave they attempted to give some kind of motivation to why uh, the Romulan commander did that. But, right. Know. Now, during his little spiel about how they did it, he says that one of their operatives on Deep Space Nine went aboard and disabled some of the ship's key systems. And, and the panel shows a woman maybe Mara wearing that uh pajama pajama uh-huh. star pajamas star pajamas exactly right yeah. so i i couldn't tell if that was supposed to be her then or if that was supposed because there's also another panel or another word balloon there in that same panel that says the woman that they brought aboard at uh kalinda yes was also one of my people and she finished yes. the job so yes is this woman supposed to be somebody from Deep Space Nine or the one from Kalinda uh, Kalinda yeah, I agree that is kind of confusing especially since she's got Mara's outfit maybe that's standard issue <laughs> when the Romulan females go to uh, seduce other people but she's not red skin so that's what made me think that ah, this must right. be Mara but I don't remember yeah. her ever hooking up with the Klingon well in the first yeah you don't know and maybe yeah, but she was on the station doing things. We saw that in the first issue here and that little short preview right. kind of thing that was at the end of a different uh, Deep Space Nine issue. Right, right. Um, so who knows what all stuff she was doing. Uh, I, I guess they're filling us in on it in this story. Right. Nice pajamas. Yeah, nice pajamas. <laughs> so something that confused me is Odo. In the previous issue, issue number three... We see, towards the end, page 19, 20, something like that, we see Odo morphing out of the bottle into uh, himself in, uh, what, Dalar's cabin. Right. So we see that, and then Odo's kind of looking around, looking right on top of things, ready to do clandestine things. And then that's the last time we see him. Right. In that issue. Then we see him in this issue, for the first time, on page 10. So that's kind of far into the issue. And right after Dalar is talking to the Romulan guy, as they're unboxing or unpacking the ship, the Azar or whatever the heck the name, the, the name of that ship was, at the pyramid base, we see Odo again taking his form, although we don't quite see from where, 
Uh, but it kind of looks like it's another... Sh- Actually, the room kind of looks like Dalar's cabin again. Because some right. of the things that are on the shelves... I mean, some of the... There's a box and there's like a kind of a jar thing that I think I saw before. So it looks like he's still inside of the cabin on the ship. And then he turns into his form. And then the last thing you see him fully formed, he says, Where am I? Right. So it's like, wait a minute. Is he still on the ship? And they're re-showing him what we saw in the previous issue? Or is he in the base now? He shouldn't be in the base now. He should still be... It looks like he's still in the ship. Yeah, you're right. In, so, the, in the picture, it looks like he's he's still on the ship. But I, right. I, when I first read this, I thought that he that was him reforming once he was in the base. In the base, right. But why would he be in a bedroom? Right. And why would... Yeah, right. And why would that bedroom look kind of like the Lars cabin in the ship? Right, right. I don't know. No, you're absolutely I, I was just, right. I was confused by that. I thought it was like, well, did did they have some kind of field that affected Odo and he didn't know it? And then he passed out and came to again? And it was like, huh? No, but I figured maybe they're just showing the same... The same event again in the second issue, just to remind you that he... Anyway, whatever. Right. I was confused. Good point. I did not catch the background was was that. So, yeah. what about Mara being in the um, the cell? Did you, did you think that Kira is kind of overreacting? Because at this point, she and Odo aren't an item. Yeah, what, what was that about? I thought for the longest time... Odo was pining for her, but she is she had no clue about the, the feelings until pretty close to the end of the series, right? Exactly, right. But okay. here she says, you know, she's doing it out of love because someone she cares about, you know, and I'm like, really? I mean, is this yeah. supposed to be friendship love, or are we supposed to get that maybe she does have more than platonic feelings for him? Right, which doesn't really play into the continuity of the series. Nope. Did not. Yeah, that or else she is totally clueless. Because I think Odo had pined for her long enough that if she did have a a hankering for him, she would have recognized something and done something about it earlier than she did. Right, right. And then I thought Mara being able to escape was was basically a waste of space. That was was filler. I mean, one, where did she get that little device that she pulls out of her... I guess stomach? pajamas, their yeah. outfit, whatever. They didn't check her for concealed Little devices. Yeah, it's like, come on. So I mean, somehow she pulls it out. It's able to take down a whole force field, and then then she escapes and gets caught. Takes up four or five pages, but nothing really happened of yeah. consequence. Yeah. So I wish they would have just left her in there and, and gave us more of how the runabout escaped the Romulan warbird. I agree. Although that might have been more difficult to explain. <laughs> Maybe. All right, that was my last comment. What else you got? Um, I just... A few little ones. Again, Julian's quite the hero in this one, going after Koloth. And he was, you know, playing tough guy in the beginning of... Or near the beginning of the issue, when they basically had to haul him out of that long haul. And by the way, didn't you get a Han Solo, Princess Leia entering the Bespin room to see Darth Vader for the first time. 
<laughs> you know, I think, I, think the only, I think the only thing they needed was Bashir pulling out a phaser and shooting Talar's hand or something. In which part? Okay, so when they go into the hall and meet Talar, the, the commander of that clandestine base, right? they come into the room and there's this big, huge, long conference table. Oh, and he's sitting at the end that, of it. That Taylor is sitting at the end of. And it's like, <laughs> I completely got a Darth Vader, Bespin, Cloud City, you know, uh, Return, no, uh, Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back feeling from that scene, that particular panel. Oh, you're so right. Yep, that would have been great. That would have been great. I mean, no, I mean, you're, you're right, it, it is. I wish he would have said, we would be honored if you would join us for dinner. <laughs> Yeah, so Bashir reaches back, knocks the uh, the Romulan guard who's behind him, takes his phaser, shoots at Talar. Talar puts <laughs> the hand out, uses Jedi Force to pull it into his hands, and then he does that line, yes. <laughs> yes, that would have been great. That would have been great. <laughs> I totally missed that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, just thought I'd mention that. I think that really is about it. Right. Yeah. I guess the last thing just to say is uh, something that you said before the issue, which is all this big build-up to war, and then we don't have a war in the end. How disappointing. How anticlimactic. Right. Yep. I wanted a war, dang it. But at least they blew up the Romulan <laughs> ship. Yeah, they blew it up good. <laughs> so there was a little bit of payback there. but. <laughs> so uh, I got a nitpick. Um, in issue two, they show a... I guess he's a doctor on page 18 because he's wearing the blue. He has the blue uniform. Okay. Uh, around the time that the Cardassians and Klingons are fighting in the promenade while the Cardassians were trying to make it to the conference. Uh, the guy has a distinguished-looking mustache. And then here in this issue, there's a guy that looks like he might be the same dude. Oh. But uh, he's wearing the but gold. But a security guy? Yeah. A but security guy? The security guy on page right. four. Right, okay. Which which I didn't understand in, in issue number two why the doctor would have been telling the Klingons, you'll have to come with us. Exactly. He's a secure. Yeah, exa- I completely agree with you. So that was obviously a miscoloration in issue exactly. number two. Exactly, right. That was one of those things that I had in the back of my mind, but I forgot to write down. Right. <laughs> and so he's a mustachioed guy, and you don't see many mustachioed guys in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, so that telepath guy in Next Gen comic book series, he had a mustache too, right? Uh, and he was a security guy. Right. Tony, was that his name? Ah, I think you're right. Hmm. Interesting. All right, that was it. And um, you got anything else? Uh, I got nothing else. I, I, overall, I enjoyed the series. Uh, I did. It's a good too. story. I thought the it, fourth issue was a little anticlimactic, but. Yeah. Hey, what you gonna do? What you gonna do, exactly. So. Yep, great. Done. All right. Okay, so we don't have any elsewhere because uh, we're covering these months in the in the regular series. So this this was a mini series. We will be back next week for issue one one nine, or also known as one nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. So we'll do uh, original series DC Comics volume two sixty four through sixty six. So cool. looking forward to those too. Okay. Seems like we haven't done Next Gen for our original series for quite a while now with the, 
yeah. the April Fool's joke in there and some in this mini series and the ongoing. It's it's been right. a while. But we got a lot of things going on. Yeah. So hopefully everybody will join us next week. On the review. Star Trek comic book review. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.